Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all, and therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash pause for 10% off your first month. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is writer, photographer, metalsmith, academic, and all-around badass, Sophia Ajram. They are editing the upcoming anthology, Bury Your Gaze, an anthology of tragic queer horror. Welcome to the show! Thank you so much for having me. And such a sweet intro. <laughs> I appreciate it. What don't you do? <laughs> I know! <laughs> as they You're say, like, jack of all trades. <laughs> yeah, we were... We, when we were scoping your website, and we're like, good lord, your resume is very long. Stacked. <laughs> Thank but, you. Yeah. One thing I did I did notice though, do you like League of Legends? I do. I am a League fan. It's been <laughs> it's been a while since I've played, but I was like hardcore into the League community when it was like on its way, I guess, to the like size of fandom that it has now. So I did a lot of League cosplays, which are on my site, which is probably what you're referring to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm curious, do, do you have a favorite? What's your favorite League character? Uh, I play Shen, who is a, I guess, utility tank, if you're... Okay. For, for those who don't know, uh, League of Legends is 
uh, like a multiplayer online game, and there's like over 150 characters that you can select. So from. many. So there's oh my god, something there's that for many? everyone. That's, yeah, that's part of the reason why I kind of like fell out of it because I was like, there's too much to keep up with. Every, there's like patches <laughs> on like a, a weekly or monthly basis. I was like, respectfully, I love this so much, but right now I don't have the mental capacity. <laughs> I um, get it. I uh, I used to play it a little bit. Um, awesome. I, I'm more into into Smite just because I I like having direct control over my character instead of like clicking to move, and I'm really bad at that. So I was horrible at League, but I did play that in Dota 2 a whole lot. And so when I saw that, I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, they're similar ask. for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that. Uh, okay, but more about like I, I want to hear about Barrier Gaze. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about it? Because you are accepting. Um, as of this episode recording, you're still accepting submissions, right? I am. So uh, the submission window is until May 31st, 2023. And Bury Your Gaze is an anthology which will feature stories of tragic queer horror, which to me specifically, I was looking for stories that were obviously specifically queer, like through a queer lens, Mm -hmm. but mostly about... I guess like romance and I loved all of these different stories that I was seeing in literature or in film, like for instance, uh, Reanimator, which has like Herbert West and his like colleague and it's like slightly queer coded. And I'm like, what if we just tilted mm-hmm. it a little bit further? <laughs> and I love when stuff has like a tragic ending. I'm like, give me the Romeo and Juliet. They like off themselves. I'm like, I love that. I love <laughs> a deeply devastating ending. I love to just be completely totally wrecked by a story which is basically the inspiration for this anthology i'm just like i'm making something that delights me and i'm so glad that it's (laughs) delighting other people enough to want to write and submit work hell yeah that's amazing are you writing anything for it i'm not uh i am well that's not true i am writing the foreword uh which i've never done before i was speaking to max booth who is the publisher for this project and i was like how do forewords work because it's my first time editing an anthology and I was like, do you pay someone for a forward? How does how did the logistics behind that work? And he was like, well, I thought you were going to write it because it's your project. And people want to know why you have an interest enough in this to make an anthology about it. And I was like, damn, he's right. Like, so- <laughs> <laughs> I need to explain my rationale. Shit. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, no pressure. But yeah, it's surprisingly coming together. I mean, we're still obviously in the like, uh, open submission period right now, but the stories that I have sort of long listed have already kind of filtered down into a theme like that I haven't. Oh hell yeah, yeah! I haven't selected like I wasn't conscious. I wasn't like conscientious when I was uh, putting them together, but I was like, oh, there's kind of a flow that's happening, um, which is really nice. So hell yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, I am too. But one of the things that like I'm really enjoying right now about this uh, new queer writing movement is making messy queer people because i think for the longest time like it's always been oh that show buried their gaze or you know that kind of stuff particularly with lesbian characters i'm thinking back with like a lot of tv shows and everything Mm -hmm. that has that as a trope but it's typically written by straight people and now that we're like getting more queer authors out there the fact that we're seeing messy queers evil queers good queers 
tragic stories involving queers, but written from a queer perspective. It's so, I don't know, it's really refreshing. And I'm really digging that this moment is happening right now. Me too. I definitely, um, I'm so happy that this anthology gets to exist. Um, especially just, I feel like you two will know what I'm talking about being like chronically online, especially on Twitter. <laughs> there is so much discourse constantly happening. There, there's obviously like nuance between like what's appropriate and what's not. I think there are times where it is appropriate to kind of like call someone out on something. But there are a lot of instances where there are queer authors who are writing queer characters and they do have messy endings or, you know, villainous backgrounds or just aren't necessarily these sort of like very sanitized representations. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, that that's what being a human being is. That's what being queer is all about. And to not have those representations just feels like if we're not talking about something, then it makes it shameful. And then it's like, that means that there's yeah. something wrong with it. And it's like, you're not seeing the full scope of the human existence when you're like, oh yeah, we're not going to talk about difficult or triggering topics because they they might like harm a reader where I think that these things are maybe more helpful if they do exist and we create like trigger warnings or content warnings beforehand. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's always nuanced, but yeah. it is. But I, I was just thinking about how I got into an argument with someone on Twitter because again, as you do <laughs> chronically online because they, and I'm not going to name names, but like they were angry at me for like praising Bly Manor because I was so happy as a little queer kid that grew up reading gothic literature to have basically a tragic story yes. about queer people that was gothic and was everything that I grew up reading that everything was sort of in the in the closet they were you know they would skirt around it or there'd be like subtext to it but here's mm -hmm. a queer character and a queer story that surprise uh, sorry <laughs> listeners for spoiling but like it ends in tragedy mm -hmm. and I didn't find that problematic but then this person was like, ah, oh, it's bury your gaze. It's bury. I'm like, it was written by a queer person though. And they're like, ah, oh, bury your gaze, bury your gaze. I'm like, I think there's a little bit more nuance to it than that. So yeah. I, like I said, I am living for this new resurgence of like Eric LaRocca or that kind of, you know, thing where it's like dirty, mean, evil, nasty, sad, tragic, like all of, all of that side of, of the human relationship as you were kind of saying, Sophia. Yeah, totally. I love it. I think I definitely agree. Also just that like, the gothic subgenre is just so, so queer coded to begin with. I'm like, put oh, yeah. it out in the open. Oh. <laughs> we want to see. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Seriously. barely. It's like, it's like almost the text at that point. Like, at, <laughs> you're learning it. You're like, mm, the subtext, the sub? sort of, but like, maybe not. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Sophia, so how did you get into horror? Like, how how are you introduced to the horror genre? I feel like this goes back to like pre memory. <laughs> my mom was always very into horror growing up and again this is like i feel like i have such poor memory like my sense of self did not start to exist before the age of five so it's like the memories are barely there um but from what i, I can remember <laughs> she had a very close friend named leela that she grew up with and they would constantly do like horror movie nights and she she grew up reading stephen king and a lot of gothic horror as well. And it was very much a household where it was like, whatever you want to rent, we can rent. Like, mm. most of the movies I was too young to go into theaters to see. So I would just get secondhand stories. Uh. So I remember 
her going to see Hellraiser with my brother and then describing to me, I don't think it's in the first Hellraiser, but there was like a scene where, I don't know, someone was like sucked into a bed and then there's like just a pool of blood just like shooting out of like this hole in the bed. And I was like petrified that this was going to happen to me as a kid because I, I hadn't actually seen the movie. So I was just like imagining in my mind the worst possible case scenario. So those kinds of things informed a lot of my love for horror. There's also in Canada, I think it works differently in the States, but in Canada, the rating system starts at 14. Yeah. So if you're 14 or older, you can go into like 14A films. So I remember like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the remake had come out and I was maybe like 12. So I was like just shy of being able to go in. And my brother had like just turned 14. So he was going in with all of his friends. And I was like so salty about it um, that I made it a point to do like as many horror movie marathons as I p- could possibly get my hands on from like Blockbuster <laughs> out of spite. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be spite. spiteful. Something that's, that's enjoyable as well. <laughs> like that's exactly. the best kind of spite. <laughs> um, Do you remember like the first horror movie that you have uh, recollections of watching as a kid? Um, I feel like it's a mix. Uh, probably something wicked this way comes was. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I, I swear, I must have been like three or four. Again, like oh, pre-memory, like so, so young. Yeah. And yeah. Um, just the like, I, I need to rewatch it. So literally the only memories that I have of this film are from when I was a kid and I had first seen it. But the being on a merry-go-round that like ages you really quickly. <laughs> yep. Yep. Anything that has to do with like skewing perceptions of time really freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay and feels very you like existential. existential dread even as a child as a, ch- as a young child <laughs> <laughs> i was like what do you mean i'm gonna age and die i just got here <laughs> see meanwhile if i had seen that as a kid i would have been just traumatized by the tarantula scene because i was traumatized watching that as uh, an oh, adult spiders oh uh, yeah in the bed yeah that mm-hmm. also just petrified me it's basically like existential horror like existential dread or anything that can come and get me when I'm in bed alone by myself. <laughs> Those are the so criteria. Nightmare movies. Great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not like this. Um, Not like this. Yeah. But like that kind of stuff. And obviously there's a bunch of films that aren't like outright genre horror films um, that you folks have featured. Like um, – the mummy and stuff like that where it's just like there's genre elements that well is is the mummy horror i guess it is horror action. i think it's like yeah. horror action but like an emphasis on the action more than the horror yeah but still i would still consider that a horror movie yeah i do too i mean there's literally flesh-eating scarabs that burrow under people's skin like so spooky that's fucking horrifying <laughs> <laughs> just like how did they just that movie is just so good and so hot like they just really changed a generation Cast. of of people. <laughs> just made everyone buy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It seems like <laughs> really kind of. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> just thinking about Rachel Vice. <laughs> yeah, I know, Ray. <laughs> you mentioned um, that you kind of were allowed to rent anything and everything. So it was, you had a very like open household in terms of watching whatever you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Is that nice? Yeah. So I remember being in. Or actually, this is even before. I, so I'm like recollecting my own memories in my mind uh, in real time. Um, <laughs> it's such a like amorphous time. Like there, I, you know, right? I'm trying to think back of like when I first saw a movie, and I'm like, I don't know. Isn't that 
three like, to I was seven ten, range. Four, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I remember. Um, so my family, we mostly grew up in Aurora, Ontario, which at the time was just dead middle of nowhere. Like our house number was one and it was just like our house boom plot of land with like acres of field around us and we had like a tractor oh, that we had to so it was just like dead of nowhere which that influenced a lot of like what scared me so a lot of natural disaster stuff would scare me so like okay there's like that volcano movie <laughs> i forget what it's called volcano or dante's peak or... dante's peak dante's peak grandma dies in like an acid pool <laughs> again just like these horrifying Jesus. (laughs) so so there's a scene in this film where they're on like a canoe or something and they're trying to get to a location and they're just like oh my god like two meters shy of like being at the edge of the water but they're like the water because of the volcano is just like it's turned into acid and then the like grandmother's like don't worry i'll push the boat and she gets out and then slowly dies of acid burns so that everyone else can live and i was like four or five when i saw this i was like okay i vaguely remember that i've I've seen dante's peak i've not seen volcano but i've seen dante's because they both came out around the same time Mm -hmm. but i remember seeing dante's peak but I don't remember much about it, but now that you're saying this, like I'm having recollections of that happening. How <laughs> horrifying! Because like, that was a picture of the trauma movie too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but yes, like natural disaster stuff like that and Twister scared me so okay. much just okay. because of like how mercurial weather is. Twister. Okay, let. I don't think you ever talked about this in the podcast, and like my absolute like debilitating fear of thunderstorm of like of of twist Same. of tornadoes when I was like in middle school like late elementary school to like end of middle school because Mm -hmm. my dad's girlfriend at the time had lived grown up in ohio and decided to tell me all about what happens when there's a tornado and because i had undiagnosed ocd and no one thought that perhaps mary beth might have an anxiety disorder when every time there was a thunderstorm i would turn on the news and have to check outside pack all of my things and put them in the basement in case there was a, a, tw- like a tornado because I didn't want to lose all my things. But I'd also <laughs> seen Twister. And to me, tornadoes were only like absolutely devastating, destroy your entire house situation. So like between my dad's girlfriend and Twister, I was just like, con- and I live in Maryland. Like there was no tornadoes <laughs> where I lived. None. Like never. We'd have like, Thunder, we have like thunderstorms, but the other problem is though, we have thunderstorms all the time in the summer. So every thunderstorm, I would have a panic attack. And my mom for like a year was like, I don't know what to do with you. And I'm like, you didn't think to take me to therapy. I was having panic attacks every time it rained. (laughs) You did this, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, we actually recorded once uh, during a tornado warning for me. Oh my god, you animal. You're, you're Mr. Midwest, you're like, ah, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> I'm the one that's going to go out on the porch and look. <laughs> I know. Meanwhile, my dumbass on the East Coast was like, it's over. Every time there was a thunder rumble, it's over. <laughs> Pray to God. <laughs> Did you ever do, um, there's like that ride in Universal Studios that's yes! like the earthquake. The twister ride. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that also that. scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I was like, that just it added to my me. trauma. Exactly. So like, I had was over that trauma by then, but then I did that, and I was like, I might be. This might not be the best idea. Like this, <laughs> this like, almost, this almost pushed me over the edge. I was like, ooh, ooh. 
no. <laughs> was not prepared for that. Well, I hate this. <laughs> I, I hate this. <laughs> but s- s- you, even though you had access to, like, whatever you wanted to watch, were you a scared kid? Like, were you easily scared by horror movies? I, I feel like that's hard to gauge because I'm like, compared to who? I feel like I was. Um, I guess, like, did, like, was it easy for you to lose sleep or, like, think about it or have nightmares? Like, did you were you, like, bothered a lot by things after oh, you okay. watched them, I guess? I think so. I would constantly um, – I had, like, a, a laundry basket full of stuffed animals. And then every night I would take them out and systematically face them in different directions in my room. So they'd be sentries to, like, ward Aww. off <laughs> – whatever spooky thing was coming to get me. And then I had the child logic of like, if I can't see the monster, they can't see me. So I would just like burrito myself into like the blanket Mm -hmm. so that it was just my mouth and nose. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, they can't get me. I was also that kid. I'm like, if every part of me is hidden, nothing will get me. They won't know I'm here. Exactly. And like, I, I also had uh, really bad storms, which just like fed into the whole twister thing. And I don't know if it was because of like the system that we had set up, but in the kitchen, the oven would like beep really loudly whenever there was a storm, I guess, because the power was like coming in and out, Okay, Um, but it was like the most demonic sound. And the house (laughs) that we lived in was like so surreal. It's one of those things where I'm like, part of me never wants to revisit that house, but then part of me wants to like if I'm ever in the area, knock on the door and see if I can like go in and peek around. Cause I'm like, is my understanding of what this house looks like totally distorted through years and years of like re- misremembering and misremembering and oh, misremembering. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause we lived in a bungalow and it was just this, like we were a family of five. So, and like at times six, cause I had like a, uh, a half brother, but we had this like immense house, at least for a kid. And it was this like huge, 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 long 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 hallway it was a bungalow and there was like the kitchen at one end with this like demonic oven with like a red light just like a howl <laughs> like space odyssey light just like glaring yes. at you in the middle of the night and then like a long 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 hallway and all these like rooms branching off and then my room was like at the very very end oh so wait you could see the light from your room just like at no, the- i'd have to like peek around the corner so like my room was like okay it, you would take like an l basically um to gotcha. get to my room but if I ever got scared and I needed to, like, call my parents, I was like, oh, no, I have to, like, run across the hall to get to their room. Um, so I would just sit there paralyzed oh. in bed, not saying anything for hours. <laughs> oh my so to gosh. answer your question, yes, I think I was very scared. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you might have been, and that's okay, because I was yeah. also a terrified kid. But are you are you easily scared now when you watch horror movies? I, for, like, a really long time, I avoided anything that was sort of supernatural, like especially demonic stories. Okay. I don't know why. I was like, psychological horror for babies. I can do this. Um, body horror, like torture and all those things. I was like, man, we can do this. Um, I feel like I got into a fad, like a lot of people who like eventually get into horror do where I discovered the like horror subreddit and I was like, most extreme horror. I was like, I'm going to watch all the like craziest movies um, where it's like August Underground, uh, like Sallow, oh uh, a Serbian film, like Martyrs. Anything that was like yeah. super over the top, I was like, I can handle this. I'm a big boy. But like Exorcism of Emily Rose, it was, I was like, I can't do this. This will just like live in my mind 
and like haunt me when I'm about to go to sleep. And that's what I can't handle, I find. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Did yeah. you grow up religious at all? Like, is it like a religious trauma? Is it linked to like religious stuff at all? I don't know when I really think about it. Well, my family grew up Catholic, so I'm like, that probably. Uh huh. It's probably peppered in there. Some, that might have the, like a <laughs> residual something to do with it. I always, I always, it's always the Catholic. Like me, I'm a cat. I'm a lapsed Catholic. It's always the Catholics who are Guilty. scared of the possession movies. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, it's it's funny though because like I'm I'm not religious. I didn't grow up religious. I don't believe in ghosts and or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But like supernatural stories of like ghosts, like the the Conjuring, Insidious, that kind of stuff. Not necessarily demonic possession stuff, but like supernatural spooky ooky haunted house stuff always gets me even though i don't believe in it so i you know it happens have you ever had a ghost experience (laughs) i mean like i've joked around on twitter that i think my house is haunted but i don't really no i've never really had all right you also told a story recently that involved a ouija board and knocking and (laughs) and you never told me that until like a week ago and i was like i'm sorry mr i don't believe in jack shit had a weird ass ouija board experience explain yeah i'm putting you on blast bitch Uh, well, it, it's actually going to be an episode that comes out a little bit later, but as a <laughs> well, little, little teaser. tease for it, it up. <laughs> um, my dad collects collects a lot of books, and when I was a kid, he had some that had potentially magic rituals in it, and <laughs> I tried to do them. How old were you? <laughs> At what I, age? Like, middle school? Because it, it was excited. It was out of Alaska. It was when I was in living in Nebraska. So it would have been, yeah, it would have been like eighth grade, ninth grade, like 13, okay, 14, like not old like enough to there. know better. No. <laughs> we're, th- we're the fuck around and find out age. <laughs> <laughs> I still would do it now. Like get, if I had, if I could find those books, I would still try to do those rituals because I just think it's silly. You're fucking, I can't Unhinged. with you. Absolutely. That, fuck that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Unhinged. That's the one thing my mother would never let me do, a, like use a Ouija board. She was like, not in my house. Like we can watch whatever <laughs> the fuck we want. You could read what you want. You could bring over whoever you want. We're not touching a Ouija board. <laughs> That's where she draws the line. She's like, if you want to do math, you can do math. But we're not bringing a Ouija board in my house. Look. Yep. Yeah. That's parenting right there. Uh, Quality Um, parenting. (laughs) But so is there a recent horror movie that has really gotten under your skin that's really scared you? I was watching recently. It's a short film. So I do like a movie night with um, a friend of mine who's also a horror writer um, named Mitch Lopez da Silva. And um, they have been showing me a lot of like new to me uh, genre films. And they, we watched last week a short film called La Cabina and it's from the seventies and it's not like outright spooky horror. Um, It's more, it fits into the like existential absurd absurdist subgenre. Oh. Um, it's this. It's about this man who goes into a phone booth to make a phone call, and the phone isn't working. And when he goes to leave, the phone booth is locked, and so he's locked inside. No one can get him out. Uh, no one can hear him, but everyone can see him. And so it's oh. this like. It starts off as this almost like 
a film noir style comedy because like no one can hear him and people are trying to like smash it open or like use a crane and uh there's all these like very over the top weird like fish eye lens like cinematography oh, okay. that's happening that just mm-hmm. makes it seem like it's almost like clownish um and then it slowly devolves into this like horrifying nightmare where they're like i don't want to spoil the ending but basically they like take him away in the phone booth and then he realizes that he's like not the only one who's going through this but the, there's still oh. no way to get out and I feel like the there's oh, wow. no escape from whatever it is that the horror is really hits a sore spot for me <laughs> of like terror. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page and I see that uh, they actually did a replica of the red phone booth as a tribute to the film Ooh. close by the filming location in Madrid. I love that. There's like a picture of it and everything. That's great. Oh, I wonder if it locks you. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> stuck forever. <laughs> it's actually a true story <laughs> that sounds amazing though yeah that was really What's fun it again? la cabina i think if you look up like the telephone box it also comes up but that just like that filled me with a nice dose of dread yeah i can you know um, yeah and then yeah before that obviously the outwaters heart mm. heart eyes i fucking love that movie I was like, I don't want it that explained. Movie me up. I know. I'm just like, oh, the. But like I was saying earlier, like the time being weird. I'm like time acting mm-hmm. as though you were like you just dropped acid. Is <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I'm like that's yeah. horror to me. <laughs> so that yeah. film falls into that category. And that she movie does. definitely plays with time so much. Like right. what is happening? Kind of levels of of time manipulation. Oh, Love it. Gnarly. Um, well, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we will dig into your pick, Sophia. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. It's easy to get lost in the latest true crime podcast. Or your favorite binge-worthy show. But what about your own story? That's the most important story of all. And therapy helps you write it. BetterHelp Therapy is 100% online and designed to be convenient and flexible enough to squeeze in between the next episode on your list. Get started today at BetterHelp.com pause for 10% off your first month. And we're back! All right, Sophia, what film did you bring with you today for us to talk about? I brought a miniseries because I'm built different. (laughs) (laughs) I brought 2002 Rose Red, which is a Stephen King direct to – well, he wrote the screenplay. It's not an adaptation. It is a – Directly made Stephen King production. Sure is. And in this miniseries, a group of people with psychic powers are invited to spend the night in a haunted house. We've all heard this story before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, Sophia, 
why is this your scarred for life pick? Tell us everything. When you first saw it, what terrified you about it? Like, tell us your scarred for life story. I feel there's like so many films that I could have like picked for this that have like scarred me in different ways, but this one specifically hit on so many things that scar me and delight me um, about horror. Obviously, it's got okay. the got the, like the Shirley Jackson slash Hell House. Um, slash Winchester Mystery Mansion. Yeah, it's basically like the Venn diagram is a circle over the those three elements. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I remember, so my mom was a big fan of Stephen King growing up. I had not read any Stephen King until I was probably in my early twenties. Okay, I had seen it at like way too young of an age, <laughs> and basically following that so i had seen it at a friend's house and i had been so scared i was sleeping over at her house and i had been so scared that in the middle of the night i woke up and i I was like i have to pee so bad but i can't because he's gonna come and get me out of the toilet (sighs) that i like had to wake up my friend and like have her stand guard outside of the door (laughs) and i'm like (laughs) like logically as an adult you know that a clown is not gonna come out of the toilet and grab you hiya sophia (laughs) but in my in my five-year-old mind i was like he's coming he's coming to get me um (laughs) uh and so like off the back of that we had gone this is probably like within a couple weeks or a couple months we had gone to blockbuster seen the VHS for Rose Red. It was one of those like double VHS whammies because it's this like four hour extravaganza that I have subjected you both to. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, I'm sure that this happened with you as well, but like we couldn't watch it in one night. So it ended up just like oh, no. dragging I watched on. it all day Sunday. <laughs> unhinged behavior that that is unhinged chaotic, chaotic. behavior chaotic. <laughs> that it is was chaotic. a bad decision but okay like, so you watched it over the, over the yeah it was like watched over the course of like yeah it was watched over the course of like a couple of days um and just gave me the most nightmares ever there's like so much going on in the series obviously but what really scared me was the anomalous architecture that is a subgenre mm-hmm. that I love so much and like can talk yes. endlessly about. I love spaces that are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. I love spaces oh my that God. are. Are you Mary Beth? Because Mary Beth is the same way. Let's we literally go. talk about that <laughs> yeah, all the like time. One, it's like it's like I had recurring nightmares as a kid about like houses being having more rooms than they look yes. and houses being too big and it's and like never knowing these eight like the amount of rooms and things shifting. It's like it scares me so much. Like the idea of these spaces like being so unpredictable. It's my favorite and also the most terrifying. Yeah, I feel and like it follows definitely. Like, it follows like a dream logic where you're you're like you can't predict what's going to happen there's like a scene in the film where they're doing a tour which is like my favorite part of the movie and what i remembered so much about when i was a kid i'm like oh there's actually a lot more going on in this film than what i had recalled from like the time that i'd watched it when i was a kid uh but what had stuck out to me was this tour that they give which is like a third of the movie is this like tour that they do basically and like the history of the house but anyway the um head researcher is going through and she's like oh she's talking about a gymnasium and how the equipment is outdated and then they get to a room and it's this mirror library Mm. um where it's like a huge round library with like a mirrored floor 
And they're like, oh, did you get mistaken? Like, should we look at the floor plans? And she was like, oh, the geography of this house is unpredictable because it changes. And like, things like that. And like, the Lost Woods in Zelda, where it's just like stuff shifts. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm still unpacking why that's interesting to me. But I just, I'm so addicted to stories that have those genre elements in them. That's why I love Skinamarink. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. That's why I love that shit. Where you're just like, don't really know where you are. And you feel like you're not kind con- you're not connected to reality. And I think that's why I love haunted houses too. Mm-hmm. Like haunted house stories. And this is obviously, you know, aping off of a lot of haunted house stories. I think what is it? Stephen King said he wants, this is like the ultimate haunted house, or he wanted to write the ultimate mm-hmm. haunted house story. And we obviously see a lot of Hill House in this. And it. It it should have been more interesting to me than it was, but yeah, there's uh, like <laughs> this movie is very of its time in a lot of ways. Um, it has some very problematic character portrayals that are very oh, Stephen Kingy. Oh, it's it's just so it, it really is <gasps> so Stephen King in some of these. It's just you. It's kind of sad how easy it is to identify his work by the stereotypes that man likes to really just yeah use as much as yeah possible. yeah. There's like the magical neurodivergent character and like the overbearing mother with like the wimpy like son and there's always like uh, sprinkle of fat well. phobia like, yeah 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 um, but like, he's also like he's also the cre- he's also a cretin too like at the same time too so like the fat nerd is like the creep the mm-hmm. creep who lives with his mom of course and is always mm-hmm. eating ice cream it's got some it's got its <laughs> It's a movie. Um, it made choices. <laughs> it made choices. It's, it 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 did. It's. I mean, like Annie's character. I mean, Annie, right? The yeah, Annie Wheaton. Yeah. And it's always like a young girl who has a doll she always holds on to, and she's mm-hmm. nonverbal. But look, like she. Like, there's at one point. Um, does Julian Sands character Nick Hardaway is that him? Nick, his name. I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. I cannot. He's such any a bully names. in that movie. I'm like, I don't like this man at all. But he's, he's like, like the, at he's one still point, hot though. He's so hot. He's like scary, creepy British hot. He's like, but he call, he's like she's she's above us all, like a princess. I'm like, God, like you couldn't have made this any more worse if you had tried. Like we can't even communicate with her. She exists on another level, and it's like, oh. <laughs> My God, I know that this is 2002, but I thought we knew better in 2000. <laughs> I seriously, I thought that this was from like when I was. I'm like, oh, this has to be from like the 90s. I'm like, no, 2002. <laughs> nope. Oh no. Oof. <laughs> uh, oof. <laughs> anyway, yeah, even that her her sister's name, like her sister has a name, but they're like, anyway, we're just gonna call her sister. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's that's what that's I- what. Like, okay. <laughs> I was like, because like she's introduced and like the father is calling her sister. And I was like, wait, are they brother and sister? Like, what is happening in is this opening none? scene? Like, I, I, she's like, why, why are we calling her a sister? And then we have the neighbors across the street that are like, there's something wrong with that little girl. And I don't just mean that she's autistic. And I'm like, what is happening in this opening scene? Yeah, I don't know. It's, I was watching. Um, behind, there's like a whole behind the scenes making of, which is fascinating is. in a lot of ways. Um, but what I found kept coming up that I thought was really funny was interviews with a bunch of like the cast and the director 
And everyone being like, well, whatever Mr. King wants, Mr. King will get. And, you know, we, we could have edited it down, but it's his vision. So <laughs> I'm like, no one was allowed See, to touch this. <laughs> I think that's the problem. Like, uh, we'll, uh, like we'll get to that in, in a oh, bit. Like, I have God. a lot of thoughts about, about <laughs> that aspect of it. But, uh, but, okay, so going back to to your story, though. So it's it's the fact that the house is, you know, constantly changing. And I love – that is one aspect of this I really love. The, the production design of this house is yes. gorgeous. And from that, I love that mirror library thing or the time they enter the room and it's like they're walking on the ceiling mm-hmm. and like everything is like the lights are on the ground sticking up and all the furniture is on the ceiling. So like, cool. I love that aspect of it. Is is that is that kind of what terrified you or was there was there more to it than I think so? Um, there was <laughs> this is like tangentially related. Um, when I was maybe like six or seven, I went to we have something called Laser Quest in Canada, which is like, OK. It's it's laser tag, which is just okay. um, it's like paintballing, but with infrared lasers. You're in like an indoor space. Everything is dark and very smoky, <sighs> and <sighs> it's labyrinthian, and everything is glow in the dark. Um, and this was like the thing that everyone did whenever it was someone's birthday. Laser quest. Always oh, like, laser tag. We need to celebrate laser quest. And so, um, I like prided myself so strongly on like how good I was for like being a seven year old at laser quest. Uh, Hell and, like yeah. my the username that I would have is like double oh seven or something. I was like, yeah, I'm sniping, I'm sniping bitches. Um, but there was one time where I was in laser quest, and then they have like an alarm that sounds, and so it's like everyone go back to the hangar, and the hangar is like a garage. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> And so there's like there's exit arrows, but the everything is neon and it's so dark in there and it's so labyrinthian on purpose that I got confused. And by the time I made it back to the hangar, they had closed it. And so I was alone oh, no. inside the laser quest. <laughs> Just in pitch darkness, except for glow in the dark, like spooky spray painted walls. And you're supposed to call like Marshall upstairs or Marshall downstairs if you get lost. And so I was just screaming, Marshall downstairs. And it felt like an eternity for like a seven-year-old. Uh, it was probably like <laughs> five to ten minutes. But apparently my brother was like, my sister never came out. They're still in there. Like, um, And so they had to come get me. And so I'm not like ever since that day. But it it's definitely like a core memory <laughs> where I'm uh-huh. like anything that is – labyrinthian or like plays with perspective really freaks me out and gives me like a sense of panic so there's like that perspective hallway in this movie where oh um, yeah the like doorways and arches get smaller and smaller like as you look down the hall but they're actually getting smaller to make it look like the hallway is longer than it is and the like the real doors are like hidden behind parts of the wall that you don't normally see mm-hmm. yeah and there's yeah. There's that really cool zoom that two down the hallway where it's like yes. all of a sudden, boom, and I'm like, that is really cool. Like there is a yeah. lot of a lot of um, technical stuff in here that I think is is really really neat uh, for sure. That that was something that really jumped out at me. That that hallway where it almost like it just sort of immediately like elongates, and I was like, oh, that is really cool. Yeah, I love anything that's like. I feel like we don't take enough advantage of. Uh, I'm like we as as, as a genre community. <laughs> Take enough advantage of like weird interiors. I'm like, yeah, 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 nature's spooky, but like we spend so much time inside industrial spaces and like buildings that are yeah. Sometimes they're old, sometimes they're modern, and I'm like, 
there's a whole part of this film where the I guess like one of the characters inherited Rose Red, the mansion. Yeah. And um, he says at one point, he's like, this is the last weekend that we can go for the expedition because it's going to be torn down and replaced with condos because he needs the money. And I'm like, I would fucking love a sequel where they're building condos and it's like the condo starts building itself and just keeps adding rooms. Evil Dead Rise 2 is actually a crossover (laughs) between... I'm like, I haven't seen uh, Evil Dead Rises, but I heard that it takes place in a condo and I'm like, God damn it. I I hope they took advantage of that location because there's so much you could do with like freaky parking lot and just like... Yeah, they do. They utilize it. Mostly, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have thoughts about about that. That's a different. That's a different what, podcast. They, like what? A, that would be such an incredible like sequel about gentrification and just like yes. it starts just expanding and people like their people's apartments start merging. Like oh, that right? would be so cool. Right, that would be so cool. So I'm like oh. Yeah, just the fact that there's this like beautiful building that is going to be completely demolished to make room for a condo unit of all things. You're like, Ew, the housing crisis, you're like, this is extra. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> this is extra timely. Um, and the fact that it's like right next to this super loud highway in that, the film. <laughs> the shots were like, it's, it's, it's like this giant mansion and then highway. I'm like, it's, wow. it's so. It's so visually arresting, just that that design. It's like, wow, that, this is like right there on the cusp of civilization, but it feels miles away at the same time. Yeah, I feel like they did it as um, like a nod to the Winchester Mystery House, which mm-hmm. I think yeah. is pretty central. I don't know if it's in like Seattle. I'm like, oh, California? Where's- <laughs> I, I think it's in California. It's in California, but I think that they had considered filming there and then... Yeah, it's in California. They had thought that it was too claustrophobic. So they're like, we want these sprawling spaces to feel enormous. And the Winchester Mystery House was just like, everything was so small. The doorways were really tiny. Yeah. And they were like, this doesn't make sense for what we need. And then they were like, it's right next to a highway. And the ambient noise is just like <laughs> terrible for filmmaking. Yeah. So, I, so it sounds like they they, I mean, they filmed in a couple different locations, but for some of it, it was actually within a soundstage. And you, it, this house, the, the, the again, the production design is is very stunning. I love the. It doesn't look, it doesn't look like a made for TV miniseries from that time period. Like t- TV at that time period and TV now is is very different. But at that at that time, it looks really expensive, and there's some really good effects in there, particularly like when they're in the the garden the solar- mm-hmm. solarium is that what they call it and that the statue starts to like move like yes. really cool and takes off its face and the eyes are looking like some really cool design work here and it looks i mean they spent 30 abc spent 35 million dollars on this and crazy you no can shit. tell wow. you can tell in the production of this it just it's stunning to look at i just the love story's not the, the production design. yeah you're like something else um i had also I like deep dove after we like <laughs> decided Hell yeah. to, to, to um, do this episode on this uh, mini series, but I had found out that they had spent a bunch of money uh, or like part of the budget on marketing. And they had seen yeah. that Blair Witch Project had yes. created this like fake uh, website for the release of the Blair Witch Project that had like touted that 
film as instead of found footage it was like this is well yeah that's what found footage is they're like it's real um and so they had invested a bunch of the marketing money to make like a fake diary of ellen rimbauer who's like the owner of rose red from like the early 1900s and they're like it was recovered and an estate sale and uh like here are the floor plans of the uh, of the mansion and like here's her story um and it was just, they had just like hired a ghostwriter to, <laughs> to write this. They did, and people thought huh. that it was Stephen King that wrote it, and it mm-hmm. was um, some other. I can't remember what his name is. Ridley Pearson wrote Ooh. the tie-in novel, but like they also like they did um, a prequel miniseries, The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer, as well. And there was like a whole bunch of it, it's it's obvious like before I even like knew that Blair Witch was an inspiration for it. It's obvious that they pulled from it. Cause there's a lot of things in here that they're trying to weave into nonfiction, which for Blair, Witch really worked. Like I was mm-hmm. one of the people that got, that got um, suckered in with the, the sci-fi documentary before the Blair, Witch project came out. I love it. And here I'm like this, I, you're doing all of this, but it's obviously a, a, a movie. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's weird to me that they would go with that, like nonfiction route when it's very obvious, like not, the same thing as Blair Witch, but I mean, it's hey, just, they spent two hundred thousand dollars promotional marketing for this, mm-hmm. like wild. Yeah, wild. it's it's so ex- like movie exec to be like, oh, that worked, <laughs> but you're like, but you don't think you didn't do the critical thinking about why it worked. <laughs> like you, you're just seeing the thing without like thinking about it in context, and that could always be a problem. And just. But yeah. I mean, look, it's it. apparently it worked. It had, like, I mean, remember when people would watch things live on cable? It had incredible <laughs> rating, like, incredible ratings. Yeah. Had apparently not great reviews. But I mean, like, this was an <laughs> era when, like, people would watch it three nights in a row. Like, remember the miniseries when we would, like, I loved watching those kinds of things. Like, it was always so exciting. And this yeah. was that, very much that time when, like, those kinds of, event like, event TV. Event, like, three night yes. events would be so popular. And if it was a Stephen King, like, written, origin- original, of course. Yeah. But that's also where I'm like, I don't understand why they would try to make it, like, a documentary or, like, it's uh, it's based on, like, yeah. reality. Because I'm like, you have Stephen King's name on there. It's like, it's obviously a work of fiction. I, I love this little note that I found where, because Beaumont University is where Joyce Reardon worked at in, in mm-hmm. the show and they had created a fake website and it was bombarded with emails from friends who were convinced that Joyce Rudin and Rose Red were real. So like it did work apparently, what? but like, I'm like, how gullible are people? <laughs> like, uh, media literacy has been dead for a long time. It seems. Yeah. I'm like, there's some things where I'm like, it, yeah, it makes sense where I'm like, I, I wish I had seen it when I was younger, but I just saw Ghost Watchers like a year ago for the first time. And I'm like, fuck, this is brilliant. Like, <laughs> yeah, I Ghost wish Watch. I had Watch. yeah, Ghost Watch. So, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghost Watch. It's so And like, that's <laughs> how you do a good haunted house movie, too. I mean, yeah. oof. And also but... just like found footage and like touting it as a, as a real event. You're like, okay. a live recording. Yeah. We didn't so do good. it. So smart. But I, I think it's amazing that this act, this, this miniseries even came to be because it was originally Stephen King wrote it back in, I think 1996 as a feature movie and went to Steven Spielberg to make a movie version of it. And they kind of disagreed on Stephen King wanted to be more horror. Uh, Spielberg wanted to go more thriller, you know, probably like PG 13 type, you know, 
what we ended up getting is The Haunting in 1999 that like did that focused more on the thrill ride aspect instead of the horror. But they they parted ways. Stephen King bought back the rights, started writing it into a miniseries in 1999 and then got hit by the van. Mm-hmm. And this was like his he called it to be therapeutic. This was like writing. This was like his therapy for it. I There was a quote um, from the Los Angeles Times back in 2002, where he said that he was using the work as dope, basically, because it worked better than anything they were giving me to kill the pain. It was very difficult to push the pen 45 minutes a day, but it was vital to get back into work because you have to break the ice somehow. You have to say, this is what I do. I'm either going to continue to work or I'm not. You say, if I can do this, maybe I can walk. If I can walk, maybe I can resume some kind of human intercourse. Work seemed to be like the logical place to start. So, I do think that this feels like a writer that was trying to get back into mm-hmm. it uh-huh. and it was yeah. painful because I, I think it's funny that I was watching this and then I was, I was, I was looking, I was like, when did scary movie two come out and scary movie oh two God. came out a year before. And it's funny <laughs> really? to me. Cause, yeah. Cause scary movie two almost feels like a parody of this film in a lot of ways. And it came out before this movie oh came God. out. And I mean, you could say that about like, because Scary Movie 2 is parodying a lot of, like it parodied The Haunting. So obviously The Haunting right. from 1989 and this, very similar in some regards. Hill House, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's it's obvious that that there's like a crossover, that it doesn't have to be very in-depth. But I'm watching this movie and I'm like, this is everything that Scary Movie 2 satirized a year before this came out. And it's that's I think that's really weird and really funny. Yeah, I wonder when they started production on... Rose Red because there was like The Haunting in 1999. There was like House on Haunted yep. Hill remake in I get those mixed up all the time. I'm like The Haunting <laughs> and House on Haunted Hill are the same movie. Yeah. And then there's like 13 Ghosts. There's like yep. so many Haunted House like little iterations on Haunted House that all came out within like the same time period. Yeah. That, yeah, I wonder how long this one was in production for. I mean, the production design's like insane. It's beautiful. It that, really that's like, is. That's yeah. what drew me to this movie, really. It's, it's, it's certainly not the plot. No, I. <laughs> so I, you know, when I was, when I started watching this on Sunday, I was, I was really enthralled with the first part. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. the first part where it's setting up everything and there's a lot of exposition, but we're setting up all this kind of stuff. And I kind of enjoyed that. And I did remember Annie in her wardrobe with her, is it like a, a cap that she wears? She's like, like a beret or something. Yeah. A beret, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I, when I saw her, I was like, oh, okay. I think I did catch maybe this first part on television when it aired originally. Because I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I, I love his work. Even when he has problematic aspects of it, I... I grew up on him. It's a nostalgic thing. One of my favorite mm-hmm. books is it, even though there are some hugely problematic stuff as we get further into that book, but it's still one of my favorite books. I love him. So I think I probably saw the very first part or at least part of it on television because her, the, when she looks at the camera and has her head kind of tilted in this kind of crooked smile on her face, I was like, that was like unlocked a memory for me. Yes. But I, I'm watching this first part. I'm like, okay, this is kind of interesting. And then we get to the second part and I just, Aside from the, a little bit of the tour aspect, I'm like, we're still ex- giving exposition. We're still, <laughs> like, talking about this this past. 
and we're like doing it kind of poorly. Like we're just sort of like talking about it, and then there'll be like some past reenactment almost that is happening. Literally, and yeah. I just, I just like, when are we going to get to the haunting stuff? And it takes forever. And I, I like the like the ending. I like the beginning, but that middle section, boy, on Sunday was that kind of. <laughs> A rough patch for me. <laughs> well, it's just like, it's so, it's like, it just feels like King's typical loving to do exposition. And like, mm-hmm. it works in a novel when you have that interiority mm. of characters mm-hmm. and you can kind of like go, go deeper into their psychology. And it's weird because like, I usually like the characters that King, even if they're bad characters, like I can appreciate how much he writes that like how much depth he tries to give them for the most part and here i'm like i don't even remember their names like i don't remember <laughs> who any like and it's just like it's it's like he was trying to write a novel for the script but didn't really know how to write the script and which is a bummer because like i think there is something really interesting here i i love the idea of this kind of again the house that's changing and a group of psychics i mean it's not necessarily original at all <laughs> like sorry mm-hmm. king but like this is not that original but it's like an interesting idea and yeah, i think it, again like the the intro and like the lore and the end is really interesting but just a lot of characters lounging around sipping coffee and like yelling at each other it was very long <laughs> it was yeah. very long <laughs> well and i and sophia you said earlier i can't remember exactly what you said but it was like uh, but I, I found this this quote, and it, this just reminded me because I'm trying to remember exactly how you phrased it. But there was like a quote from Stephen King where he found the miniseries format more conducive to his writing style because he's like, I'm a quote putter inner rather than a taker outer. That's what it was. And so it makes sense that he would say that because, as you said earlier, people were like, well, it's kind of his vision. We're not going to mess with it. Someone should have. <laughs> Right, right, right. Can we get an editor in here? <laughs> yeah. Because he is a putter in her. He yeah. will put in a whole lot of stuff when it's it's not needed. We need a nomad. And I am Right. Exactly. <laughs> he needed an editor. <laughs> he needed to hire Sophia to edit this. I know. Like it's it, I, I that's so annoying. He's like, oh, we just let him do whatever he wanted. It was fine. I'm like, god damn it. Like, why don't like Realist man? It's just like just such typical, like privileged white guy behavior of just getting like oh yeah we'll spend millions and millions of dollars on his project that we don't really want to rein in or tell him how to fix and like tell him how to fix it it's like yeah. jesus christ <laughs> i want that <laughs> i feel like, like it's also just like a disservice to the work to not edit it because there's obviously there's yeah. like something there otherwise we wouldn't be talking mm-hmm. about it um where it has all these like interesting elements and it's like a blend of all these other stories that i or, or like points of reference that I really like and there was like yeah you could tell that they put so much love into like the set design and I, I read somewhere that there's yeah. like 200,000 square feet of set that they designed for this film oh which God. is like I believe it an unfathomable That's... amount it really is of work. That's um, crazy. and then wow. you're like but then nobody was able to reel in the story a little bit and like cut a couple minutes here and there we could have the director's cut and you know, I, I am curious. I, w- I would love to see what his original script was that he was mm-hmm. working on with this as a feature film. I would have loved yeah. to have seen a more manageable <laughs> feature length uh, presentation of this as opposed to a three night event. Because I just I, I do feel that 
even with some of the, the, the complaints I might have with it, I do feel there's a lot of padding in this to make yes. it be th- a three-part show. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. maybe watching it like on a three-night event, it wouldn't feel as bad because you also have commercials breaking it up. So like there's a little bit of like downtime as well. But like this was not meant to be binged. <laughs> so oh, listeners, no, if, if you're planning on watching this on YouTube or whatever, <laughs> do not binge it like I did. Please and thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah i'm like i just wish it had focused more on like the that seed that's at the core of it that made it so interesting which is like to me the house that is building upon itself and when Mm -hmm. they go in there it like reawakens so like the fountains start um up again and then like the father clock starts like Mm -hmm. the pendulum starts swaying again and they can hear the construction that's happening and I love this idea that it's like continually building and even the element of like, I think it's kind of stupid a little bit, but then <laughs> what I had written down somewhere, they were like, <laughs> we need the men to build gender roles. Come back, Stevie. Uh, because there was one character and it was like the son who had inherited the the mansion. There was like a ghost that gives him a hammer at one point and they're like, come and build. And it was just like, Rose Red likes to, get men to build the house and it likes women because it's sapphic because yes. i think that it did have sapphic elements yes whether yes. we want it to or not rose red is a lesbian everybody exactly. <laughs> so yeah i love um i love that element of it where it was just like yeah here's two like sapphic bitches that are just like going around having fun killing killing the men's and i love that like yeah. sukina who is the um ellen rimbauer's like partner um slash like i'm pretty sure there was some queer coding yeah. there too oh, oh like yeah them are, pushing okay, the are you, husband are you out kidding me? They're, like, like, holding, they're like holding hands together and like <laughs> being, i didn't i was like oh that. yeah i don't that's like it, that's very much barely subtext like that is almost text like that's the gayest mm-hmm. shit i've ever seen even yeah, though she like more of kind that. of kidnapped exactly her to bring her back to the states right some weird race politics going on there you know we all know that that's another issue that stephen king has uh the stand (laughs) mr king mr king please mr king you don't you really didn't have to make okay all right buddy all right that all right Sure. Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's what we're I love doing. lesbians. I, I, yeah. I definitely was like, they're, they're definitely like mm-hmm. very, very good by Erling, the situation and shoving. <laughs> they're, they're roommates. They're roommates. They're just roommates. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love how like when they were doing the tour again, they were explaining like, oh, it's not even an architect that designed the perspective hallway. It was Sukina, like her her partner and i was like i love that i just love that it's like two kind of like unhinged women just making a fucking weird house and being like Mm -hmm. make the men do all the work and i'm like you know honestly good for them (laughs) you're like go power girl boss gatekeep yeah gaslight gatekeep (laughs) girl boss that is um, what i love that like it collects (laughs) it seems to collect women too because there's like yeah. the art the the actress from like the 1950s or whatever yeah it's like trapped in it i'm like 
yes, collect all of these, all the sapphic love. Like I yeah. love, I love that angle for it. And I wish it had kind of leaned into that a bit more. Yeah. That would, that would give Stephen, that would mean Stephen King was a little bit more in tune. Yes. Instead, we got a scene where they did a flashback to a man dressed as a cowboy hanging himself in front of children oh, because he was gay. The gay man. Yes. And I, I was, was like, like, oh, lordy. You see an editor, if, if we had hired an editor, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a sensitivity reader sometimes is a good thing. Yeah, you know, I have such a, I have, and I've talked about this before, but I have such a, a weird relationship with King and the way he writes and his, his introduction of queer characters. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's never been, the greatest uh for the most part um aside from like i found it very affecting in mm-hmm. in the way that it, it tackled queerness but like i remember the first time i was exposed to anything sexual and involving two men and it was in the stand with this one with the kid i think his name was in trash can man where the kid is basically shoving the gun up trash can man's butt and that is like as a sexual act. And that is like the first time that mm. I think I had ever experienced anything to do with like same sex situations. And for a little kid, like I, looking back and now I'm like, God, what a horrible, <laughs> what Tacked, a horrible yeah. representation of, of like of queerness. Cause it's, it's villainized and it's like turning something that is, you know, sexual in nature to something that is violent in nature and it has like it's definitely sexual assault like there's all that kind of stuff that kind of swirls around it and i'm i'm like but at the same time he was kind of my introduction to a lot of queer characters but he's never handled it very well i was on chat cemetery a podcast um that was that went through all of his his work and I was reading for that um it wasn't Mr. Mercedes it was his second book and I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head now but it was like he was he wrote it was recent it was well I mean within like the 20 mm-hmm. the aughts at some point and in it all the characters that were queer were either sexually assaulting people in jail or was like uh, a horrible person that was um a pedo- a pedophile mm-hmm. and I'm just like he's still continuing to do that to this day. And so when I, when I see stuff like this, I'm just like, Oh, Steven, why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Why? Yeah. That's definitely why I think I don't want to like self aggrandize. Um, but that's why I think things like the barrier gaze anthology and like more queer voices need to exist and be more sort of prevalent in like the horror community mm-hmm. and the world at large, because viewing queerness from the experience of queerness is going to be a more sort of like multifaceted. It's going to be seen through a more multifaceted lens uh, and like a more whole experience. um, So that if you do have a villainous character who happens to be queer, um, I think it's like taken on with more thoughtfulness. Yes. Then maybe just like playing it up. Can I plug a a book that is absolutely not rose red but haunted house but very queer please just tell me i'm worthless by um favorite Rumfit. it's so good the third the like last third of this of this book i am not done i'm like halfway through but i started it yesterday um but Uh. it's very funny because i'm reading this and talking about it in another episode of this podcast but Mm -hmm. I was reading it and I was like, wow, very fitting. Very hot. Like love the haunted house vibes. But this one 
if you want a good haunted house and it's queer as shit, it is written by yes. a trans woman. It is all about that stuff. So if you want like a good contemporary haunted house, this is mm-hmm. this is this is the book, my friends. Also, you just want a like response to Rose Red. <laughs> not yeah, not necessarily anomalous architecture, but I find that that book also has really great elements of like. I guess this is like any haunted house, but like a house that is alive in the sense of it, it hungering and it like hunting mm. and it yeah. hating. Um, and like, it's obviously like a metaphor for fascism and all of these different elements. Um, but yeah. I love, she does such a great job with some of the scenes, just making it come alive in such a really spooky, unique way. Yeah. I, I love that book. I'm glad that it's you so recommend it. <laughs> what I love about that is that it goes back, and I think it's even quoted in this, if I remember correctly, with Shirley Jackson's statement that, like, it might not be too fanciful to say that some houses are born bad. And mm-hmm. I love that because that was I, – I believe that was in The Haunting of Hill House as a quote, a direct quote from that, that yes. I, I think – this this uses this if I remember correctly the movie uses um but I I love that idea of a, of a house that is like hungering or that is evil yeah. that is just born bad like it just it's so cool yeah I think they talk about how the house like hates the warmth and humanity and anything that makes something human it like by nature hates and I'm like oh I want to like I want to think about that some more because I think that's so interesting as yeah to just look at architecture and like something that we create as a space to be inhabited and to live and to love and experience life in that turns against us and it's like Mm -hmm. a lot of haunted houses are like a bad thing happens there or a bad person brings some sort of negative energy in or the like and uh rose red is a culprit of this as well the it was on indigenous burial ground land yes which is i think a stupid trope that we need to just stop doing but i love the idea separately of uh of a house that's just like it's evil because it's evil okay and like an evil that can't be explained and can't you can't go to the library and like discover all the like with the ring like she fell down a well and like if we like find the root cause of like what happened with this trauma that we can solve it I feel like I see like Terry in the background. You have like Uzumaki. What I love so much about like Junji Ito's work is just like so much of the horror is unexplained. It's like spooky thing happen mm. and spooky thing can't be solved. Spooky, thing, spooky things coming for you. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like spooky things coming for you. It's random. It's like it's it's like yes. the core of cosmic horror to me. Like so often cosmic horror, you think of mm-hmm. it as like tentacles and scary monsters, mm-hmm. which it can be, which it obviously is. But like I also view things about like anomalous rooms and spaces as cosmic horror because it is Mm -hmm. shifting our perception of reality and what it means like how our ways of like interpreting reality and perceiving it are completely altered to the point that we kind of like lose it and we see that in this movie i mean like Mm -hmm. i think what this movie does do well is portraying how these characters are all kind of losing it in their own respective ways and i think that's not uncommon in these kinds of haunted house movies, but I also think that's where haunted house movies get really interesting if you can really dive in to what is so scary. And especially when it's a house like this that's, like, feeding off of people's energy, like, mm-hmm. what is so terrifying? And it's more than just, like, a spooky gr- woman in a, in a white gown. It's, yeah. like, so individual. And, like, I 
And that to me is what makes these kinds of movies so fascinating and how like they can really dig deep into our own like psychological perceptions and what happens when you fuck with our perception, Mm -hmm. especially when it so feels so real. I also love like, I love that you connected it to cosmic horror because just the like cosmic horror in my mind is just like the vast indifference of the universe to yeah. like human yeah. suffering and human hope and human tragedy and all these different elements where it's just like you are nothing um <laughs> you're, yeah you're a blip in like time space it just you don't you don't matter nothing in your in your life and like everything that you're striving for none of that matters and that's just like it's the most existential <laughs> Well, and, like, that's what's also so interesting about houses to me, though, because, like, so often they're around for longer than people and, like, they Mm. retain memory. I mean, like, that's why people talk about haunted houses, they retain memory. And it's, like, Mm -hmm. they are kind of, like, weird – this is, like, getting very deep for talking about Rose Red. But they're almost, like (laughs) – they're places of joy. But if you think about it too hard, like I am right now, they become these weird memorials of, like, past lives. And it – and, like, it is – like houses can really hold on to things and they become these weird like little monoliths to that and it's like there's that's why haunted houses to me are so good and i love when they're like kind of represented as carnivorous because it does like what happens when you take on all of these memories and emotions and like what happens if a house yeah i just it's real that's really interesting sorry terry what were you gonna say no i was i was just thinking because i've 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 brought this up on the podcast before but my parents own a victorian house that was built in like the 1800s uh and there are times where like you could get whiffs of something that someone was cooking and no one was cooking and there's like it was a this this house is like i've never had a ghost casually casually drops (laughs) <laughs> well, and i like i personally never smelled it but my mom was always talking about oh there's that there's a smell that will come through the house and it smells like someone's cooking and i the, the house has a lot of history to it obviously for something that has been there for mm-hmm. you know over a hundred years mm-hmm. it used to be um they had funerals in the room that my parents now watch TV in where they had like the bodies established. Like there was, it used to be a, uh, um, a nursing home. So people have died in this house. Like it has, and you can sort of feel that history just oozing out of the walls. Even if you don't believe in, in ghosts and stuff, there's like, there's a, a sense of place and a sense of finality in this home that has like a basement that is dirt. And I would not be surprised if there's bodies buried right. somewhere underneath the house. Like there's just that, that, that sense that a house can have. And mm-hmm. I kind of wish that Rose Red had like leaned into that more because there's also one of the things I love about King is the way that he kind of te- has like intertext and intertextuality between all of his books that are kind of set in a bigger universe. Right. And, Rose Red is mentioned in his book Black House as a place where slippage occurs, where it's like there is like this other world and it sometimes it slips into our world. And that kind of ties into the cosmic horror aspect of it. Yeah. And so after the fact, he kind of attaches this as like sort of like a place where um, the other world kind of can slip into our world. And I, I appreciate that, but I just kind of wish that the actual film had a little bit more of that kind of playfulness mm-hmm. personally. That reminds me. I'm also me thinking, of, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, no, please go. Oh, I was gonna go on like a tangent, so no, please I'm do. Curious to... <laughs> Let me look it up. There is a one of the first things that 
first like works of literature that I got into when I like started really, really getting into horror, like uh, more contemporary horror, uh, was mm-hmm. called the Blumhouse Book of Nightmares. Okay, and so it's like Jason Blum had edited. I guess like a series of short stories put together by different authors that were mostly filmmakers. So oh. I want to say there's like works by Eli Roth. Oh yeah, I'm seeing Ethan Hawke, Eli Roth, Scott Derrickson. Yes, so C. there's Robert like Robert Cargill. Yes, there's one by Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill that just like has imprinted itself on my mind. Like brilliant short story. I want to say that it's called a blank white room or like a plain white room a clean white room a clean white room thank you i'm at the Um, amazon page (laughs) (laughs) thank you i was like furiously looking and i couldn't find it um and uh it's like very loosely about this guy who is the manager of this it's like a house or like a small apartment building and what he has to do is he's like tasked with making sure that nobody leaves their room oh and as the like short story kind of unfolds, it like moves back and forth between like present time and past of like these different residents that live there. Um, but this isn't really a spoiler. You find out that he's a sin eater and he has to make sure that this like, sorry, that's my glass. Um, this like house, this building is built on top of like a crack over hell. And so all of these sort of like evil spirits of people that have done horrible evil things in when they were alive are like trying to creep out of hell to get back into the world but the house is built like a labyrinth and so only he knows how to get through and so he doesn't even trust his eyes he's like counting steps like okay it's like six steps forward and then two steps to the right uh and then like one step forward and one step to the left um because it shifts and it's supposed to confuse the spirits. And so um, it's like about his experience, like working there and like these spirits, like getting out and him having to like retrap them. But what you were saying, Terry reminded me of this story so much where I'm like, Oh, I love the like seepage idea of like, it's Mm -hmm. built over something and it's trying to contain something. Um, And I just love the idea of like a labyrinth that confuses spirits. That's amazing. What a that's a that's a brilliant idea, actually. I know. I was like, uh, it was my introduction to like C. Robert Cargill's work, and I was like, obviously like super prolific like writer and creator. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that story is just delightful and like so wonderfully written. I highly recommend. I I want to check out this book. I was looking at on on Amazon, and there's like a lot of. A lot of good, good, good creators involved with this. Yeah, what yeah. I liked about it as well was like the. I think most, if not all, of these are set in a city setting, um, which was kind of like the the purpose of the book. I, I could be wrong, but uh, so okay. many of them are just like it has to be set in this like sort of populated space, and so you get all of these different filmmakers and like writers take on how do we fuck this up? <laughs> like, how do we, like, how do we make it fucked up rather? Like, um, so there's yeah. a lot of really interesting spooky stories in there that have like stayed in my memory. Oh cool. yeah. Sweet. I just have, I have a question. Have you ever read house of leaves? I am the biggest house of, you will not find a bigger house of leaves. Fan. So fun fact. Um, <laughs> when this was like maybe like three or four years ago at this point, um, I had reached out to, Mark Z. Danilowski, who's like the author of House of Leaves. Um, he has like a website called Atelier Z, which is, um, they have like merch that's based on his writing. And I said, if you ever want to make a piece of jewelry, and he responded and he was interested. And so I have 
a little matchstick that's based on House of Leaves that we like co-created together. Holy um, shit! I was just that's like, so fucking cool. It was such a highlight of my life. Um, he was like so wonderful to get to talk to, and so involved in the process of like, I was like sending sketches back and forth, and we like perfected this piece like to a T. Um, but yeah, it's based on House of Leaves. That's um, amazing. I feel like that was such a formative piece of writing in so many ways for just like the possibilities of what writing could look like where mm-hmm. yeah um, there's like editorial interjections and again like an anomalous house that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside well, <laughs> the man created the blueprint like Right. I've been meaning to ask you this since since you first mentioned that the, that earlier tonight, because I was like, I wonder if I, you have to have read it. Because that's why I, I, I needed to bring that up. Because yeah, I'm a it's... huge yeah, I'm a huge fan. When I was like 17, um, he released Only Revolutions, which was like one of the follow up books after he had written House of Leaves. And I was like, Mom, we gotta drive down to New York City. I gotta meet. <laughs> I gotta meet this author. Um, so she like she was so sweet. She indulged me, and we like drove down to New York. And I have like one photo where I'm like, Aww. um, and I had like hand bound him a little like leather book with like the letter Z on it that I had like shakily given him. I was like, I love your work, Mister Danielski. But yes, <laughs> formative That's work. Amazing. I love that book to this day. It is just so. Such an incredible like body of work. That's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. Ugh. Anything that has, um, you put like a, a a maze in there, or you like move stuff around inside an interior and make it do stuff that it's not supposed to do. I'm there. I'm like relic. That scene in Relic. Oh, oh. God, relic. Uh huh. Yep. I'm like I live for that. There's like a that I don't know like a three to five minute scene, and I'm like just inject it directly into my veins. I love that shit. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're very, very similar. Very oh, similar. I'm so happy to hear this. <laughs> the moment you said that, I was like, oh my God. Well, do we want to wrap up and give us a rating out of five? Yeah. That sounds good to me. All right, Terry, you're up first, Terry. And um, how many Stephen King cameos out of five do you give Rose Red? <laughs> we didn't even talk about his rather. <laughs> oh, yeah. His weird. Bad cameo? <laughs> Pizza delivery like, cameo? He said some fun ones, but I was like, I mean, <laughs> this one isn't this one isn't it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, I did not like this. <laughs> I, I kept thinking, as I was watching, I kept thinking about how it's so wild to me that this was almost half the length of The Haunting of Hill House, which is another adaptation. Because, like, let's be honest, this is... Whether he wants to, I mean, he even admits it. He wanted to make like an adaptation of Ray Weiss's The Haunting from 19, what was that, 1970, 1960, 1970? I can't remember exactly when that one came out, somewhere in that, in that time frame. And I'm, th- I'm watching this and I'm like, it's so weird to me to watch The Haunting of Hill House, a, a show that I find does what this wants to do, but mm-hmm. in such a, more interesting way that I would much rather sit down and binge that than this, this four hour show ever again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, it, oh, no. I was like, it drained me that day. And I'm like, man, I really wish that I had just split this over a few nights instead of watching <laughs> all four hours in one stretch. Uh, Cause that was basically my Sunday. <laughs> Soldier. 
But I, 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 there's a lot, like we've talked about, there's a lot of really interesting things in here that I just feel gets overshadowed by so much exposition, so much time spent around explaining the past that I feel like if they had shown it or if they had done like an episode or done like parts of episodes that were more telling the stories concurrently and then building mm-hmm. to something would be more interesting. But I just, I feel like there's a lot of telling and not enough kind of showing what, it, what is happening in here. And that just for every like really good moment that is in this, it just <laughs> kind of takes me back. And I'm like, why did you go and make this when you made a perfectly excellent haunted hotel mo- book? Like the shining mm-hmm. is, is, is so good. Just maybe just leave it with the shining. <laughs> Why? <laughs> why do I? Why? <laughs> I. Yeah, this is uh, two cameos for me. Two Stephen King cameos. I just it was it was not for me. Even though there were moments in here that I was like, "This is fantastic." What about you, Mary Beth? So I'm gonna give this three because I love how it okay. plays with space. Like I think that was mm-hmm. the big draw for me. Like I was really I couldn't tell you the names of some of these characters. I. <laughs> We had was... the old hot guy and the young hot guy. That was how <laughs> I kept him straight. Because yeah, Jillian Sands, whew. we had older old guy, hot old guy, young hot guy, <laughs> and then we had older woman, younger, <laughs> younger, old, like hot older woman with the professor, and then the younger hot woman and Melanie Linsky, <laughs> and then Melanie Linsky who just kind of exists, and then the autistic teenager who will solve all of our problems. Um, mm-hmm. Look, I don't I I love Stephen King and I don't like Stephen King. I think he has a lot of weird tropes he relies on, but I do think he writes good characters. I think there was some good stuff here. I just think he is writes better for a novel format. That being said, I love the use of space and what they're playing with with space and while it is mm-hmm. very kind of like calling back to other things, I just you're always going to get me with a giant gothic house that rooms change and things flip around and doors open and we have creepy Julian Sands who I'm like, is he like a figment <laughs> of this house? Like, who is this man? Like, <laughs> seems like he's a ghost too. Anyway, um, I, it's a good movie to have on in the background. I think mm-hmm. if you're not like paying mm. full attention and you're getting like the big parts, I think that is a better way. And I, that's why I think I enjoyed it, because I had it on while I was working. So I was watching it. But if it was, like, getting kind of slow, I could type up an email. <laughs> which I know is not the way we should be watching movies. But this is a four-hour miniseries. Oh, I kind of. So. That's Christopher I Nolan intended. That's Christopher Nolan intended. But, Sophia, you have the final word. How many Stephen King cameos out of five do you give, Rose Red? I'm going to put it right between the two of you guys. And I'm going to say two and a half. All right. Two and a half men, two and a half Stephen King cameos. <laughs> I, I like we've. It's basically everything that we've been discussing today, which is just. Yeah. I think the two and a half is like mostly for the incredible set design and creativity behind some of these spaces, and I kind of like some of the little like flashback stories um, and getting to like get a little ghost tour, which is like kind of fun. Um, the 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 remaining two and a half stars that aren't there is for like the this is a slog the third act just falls <laughs> apart there's some problematic moments and elements in here um this needs to be edited um <laughs> yeah so it's, it's been a really like, good hour and a half movie <laughs> yeah I'm like there there needs to be like a YouTube cut that someone makes. <laughs> 
It's just the tour section. It's the opposite of release the Snyder cut. Release the non-Stephen King cut. Oh my god. Yeah, so, I don't know. I like the nightmarish, like, element of, like, the swampy northwestern yeah. um, sort of, like, forest that's really sprawling outside of the house that they get lost in. Anywhere that, like, is big enough and like confusing enough that people get lost in. I love that kind of shit. Like, I'm with you, Mary Beth. I'm like, I love like the spooky anomalous stuff. So two and a half stars for that and that alone. <laughs> Hell yeah. One one other thing that I, f- I forgot to mention. This is the second time we have had a miniseries written by Stephen King and directed by Craig R. Baxley. Because the person that directed this also directed Storm of the Century. Yes. I think that's which how we've discussed they, on the show. Because I think that was made before Rosa. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Also, very Wild. brief, funny story. I went to my local record store, which is a magical, weird place, and found a DVD copy of Rose Red, and I had never seen a, like a DVD copy of it, and I bought it because it was four dollars. Because every time I go to this fucking <laughs> store, I find one of the movies that we're talking about. That we've been this talking week. It's about. It's weird. It's like a weird place that like always seems to have the movie that we're talking about. It's bizarre. So now I own Rose Red. Not because I like it, but because how could I not buy that when I find that? Four bucks. You can't really. Didn't you also find Liquid Sky there that we talked about? Like randomly? No, that was a different place. That was a different place. Oh, that was a different place. But I found a lot of other. I found um, the Omen, the Steelbook of the Omen, like the day after we recorded an episode about the Omen. It was, it was weird. Anyway, like they they just know. Cosmic horror, right there. It's like they're watching the show. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Truman Show. We're the Truman Show. <laughs> oh God. Anyway. Uh. Uh, well, thank you so much, Sophia, for joining to talk about us. Where can the listeners find you if they want to? Because this episode will come out before your your calls are are done. Um, where can they send stuff to? And what do you have to plug that you want to throw out there for everyone? Ooh. Um. Thank you for having me, first of all. I'm so excited that I got to talk to you folks and subject you to this four-hour extravaganza with me. Hey, it was worth it. It was worth it. Now you can check it off as, as watched on Letterboxd and never uh-huh. have to oh, revisit it again. I did. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> done. Um, but yes, I am mostly active on Twitter, and my handle is Sophia Ajram, which is just my first name, last name. Uh, for Barrier Gaze, if you would like to submit, um, the submission call is on the Dread Central website. <laughs> um, so if you search up Dread Central Barrier Gaze, I'm sure it will be the first thing to pop up. We'll include it in the show notes, listeners. Yes, yeah. thank you so much. And what else? I just released a novella with Crystal Lake Publishing about a clinical trial gone wrong. Um, and there are two other novellas in there with... Uh, Nadia Bulkin and Jess Landry. Uh, and they're all body horror novellas that are kind of like Clive Bark, yeah. Clive Bark energy. Um, and that is called Little Mutilations. Um, and yes, there's Hell more yeah. things to come, especially if you like architectural horror. That's the vibe that I'm building. But I can't talk about those things just yet. Hell so yeah. <laughs> we'll tease it. Um, so <laughs> listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with Rose Red? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. 
And if you want to help support us, uh, we have a Patreon. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. Scratchers to scratch. There's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>